My handle is Jonathan Blade. Welcome to my podcast, and may the 4th be with you. I'm recording this on the 4th of May. It's a pop cultural holiday as Star Wars fans celebrate everything Star Wars on May 4th, but for me, May 4th has a different significance. On May 4th, 2012, the landscape of pop cultural entertainment was forever altered with the theatrical release of Marvel's The Avengers. The Marvel Cinematic Universe, and more specifically, The Avengers, is the Star Wars of this generation. It is a worldwide phenomenon which the other movie studios are still struggling to understand. The only thing that comes close in the realm of cinematic universes is the actual Star Wars universe, and for all intents and purposes, there is currently nothing else. Harry Potter lost its steam after the main series ended, and the DCEU has seen some minor successes, but doesn't seem to have a roadmap. I don't know, the Fast and Furious movies are about to have their first side story, and globally that is a mega-franchise too, I guess. Still, as I said before, beyond Star Wars, nothing comes close. It's a matter of quality, but it's also a matter of scope. 22 films strong, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is almost its own genre. Internet pop-cultural editorialist MovieBob Chipman posits, sans judgment, that fans of consumer cinema are not the same as cinephiles. The consumer cinema fans have a primary interest, action, romance, comic books, history, that brings them to the movies when said interests become popular enough to find significant cinematic representation. I don't think he's wrong. I, for instance, enjoy movies as a perfect package of complete single-setting entertainment. And while I enjoy every aspect of a production, in as much as it contributes to the entirety of the experience, before comic book movies became ubiquitous, I couldn't tell you the name of a cinematographer, an editor, screenwriter, or even many composers. Conversely, I've had the names of comic book inkers, editors, and colorists in my mental Rolodex for decades. So I've seen all 22 movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Most more than once, and I understand that there really is no niche to being such a fan. So, as I've stated, a global phenomenon, arguably bigger than Star Wars, Michael Jackson, or what's the TV analogy, Friends? Only an enterprise that could successfully operate on a scale, consistency, and with the general continuity of the MCU could pull off a satisfying conclusion to this first grand story arc of the project. This conclusion started with 2018's Avengers Infinity War, a giant action orgy that leads to the big bad villain, Thanos of Titan, being the one to enjoy his metaphorical cigarette in the afterglow. So I really enjoyed Infinity War, but it did what it did. To cap off the story, Avengers Endgame, the last chapter in the tale, would need to do something different. Endgame's difference is that it does everything. At three plus hours, Endgame takes its time to run the tonal gamut of the house styles of the MCU. It starts with a somber epilogue to Infinity War. Events take place that one would assume to be the entire story of Endgame. Our heroes, for all intents and purposes, fail again. And then after that relatively short epilogue to Infinity War, the film does what critics have been asking the MCU to do for years. It slows down and spends time with the characters. These aren't quite the best, most humanizing character beats for the individual characters ever seen, but as a whole, we have never gotten to spend this much time with our heroes being regular, horribly traumatized human beings. All except for Tony and Bruce, the brains have found their own ways to find victory and defeat, and that bit of characterization is as poignant and telling as all of the damage that the other characters are going through. This may be my favorite part of this movie, because I have already seen these characters in action several times, and I know them. I have been waiting to spend this kind of time with them again since the party from Age of Ultron. 
It's nice, but it leads into the bulk of the film, which is some messy, time-heist stuff. That keeps the camaraderie, but pairs it with the trademark Marvel humor and tons of fan service as they travel to the alternate timelines collecting past versions of the Infinity Stones. The mechanics of time travel seem to be contentious, even with the creators. But from my point of view, none of it works, especially when talking about quantum mechanics, if they aren't applying Everett's Many Worlds theory of time travel where every possibility branches off into its own universe. This is what drives comic book universes already, and in nerd culture because of shows like Star Trek and Rick and Morty, the precedent is already in place. I didn't hate this part, but I also didn't love a lot of these adventures the first time through. After a rewatch, though, it's fine to good. We get more time to spend with the characters on an interpersonal level, and it's fun. Fun is what makes these movies work for a majority of the audience. Now, I personally prefer Gravity, but after years of Ant-Mans and Guardians and Ragnaroks, Marvel Studios has beaten me into satisfaction with their hammer of well-crafted jollies. So the Act 2 mission succeeds, but not cleanly, and this leads us into our climax, which is Infinity War Redux, but with everyone on the battlefield at the same time. So I have expected to see like 22 CGI Stan Lees with bastard swords on the field of battle because it is everybody. Every moment is a splash page, and the scene is a victory lap for the entire 22-film project. Big emotional beats of both joy and despair start coming at you fast, and if you have been at all invested in this material in the past decade, you will need a tissue. You'll probably also need to rein it in a little if you're in a theater with a dead audience. So I'm not one for casual cheering, but come on, there are some incredible moments in this climax. Stuff that only works because of the investment. We've earned the indulgence, and Marvel Studios has earned our praise. So we lose a few of our big players by the end, because contracts are up and actors are getting old, and of course folks have been conditioned to extract a blood toll as the benchmark of change in the media that we consume. Hmm. You know what, fuck those people a little bit, by the by. Uh, it is reasonable that if you have a Donnybrook with a way more powerful and numerous enemy that people are going to die. But there are other ways to have meaningful change in your ensemble. Anyway, we end with some major losses and a couple of those meaningful changes, and with no specific future on the table. Everyone who has been an active part of the MCU has been fortunate enough and talented enough to be early in on a successful formula. So by the time you get to an endgame, creatives know where all the walls are with their eyes closed. They can creatively navigate new paths within the spaces they've been living in for years, making it seem novel and masterfully executing on everything that they have learned. So while Infinity War was really Thanos colon Infinity War, Endgame is the Steve and Tony show. Robert Downey Jr.'s Tony Stark and Chris Hemsworth's Thor got most of the character time on the hero side in Infinity War. So that was disappointing to me because my favorite character in all of comic book cinema is Chris Evans' Steve Rogers, Captain America. I knew that they would give him more heavy lifting in Endgame and van damn did they ever. Literally. They did right by Chris Evans. They really did right by almost everyone. Even Gwyneth Paltrow got to kick some ass. So, you've already seen it, but you should go see it again. I do have some dangly bits I'd like to tuck in before I go. Uh, one is that, uh, just as an informational note, the Infinity Gauntlet in the MCU is a tool. It's a weapon. It is not, as it is in the 616 Marvel comics, the path to enhancement or godlike ascendancy. The gems can be used for direct enhancement, but the toll that they take on the user is inconsistently more significant than using them through a physical intercessor. Uh, point number two... To the man-babies, yes, Captain Marvel is in this film. Yes, she is the most powerful character in the MCU. But no, she doesn't break the film. 
They use her appropriately for what she is, but Endgame still belongs to its central characters. The literal god-level threat to Thanos in the film should have been Thor, but he got his shot. Thor got his shot in the last film. He whiffed it. Uh, point number three, the end of the movie aging effect that they did on one of the key players is the best that I have ever seen. I thought that they were using a different actor through most of that scene. It is incredible. It's exemplary. Say kudos to the performance and kudos to the uh, effects team. Finally, while I know some of what is coming next, I have no idea what the big picture plan will be, and I kind of don't care. I have gotten everything that I wanted. Really, everything that I could have imagined and more from this translation of comic books to film. It's like 2013 all over again, when I played The Last of Us on the PlayStation 3 and was given everything that I had ever wanted in an interactive narrative experience. So I didn't stop gaming after The Last of Us, but I was satisfied that I had gotten the experience that I was after, and the magic and charm of gaming has never been quite the same since. Thanks for listening.